Philippians. Look at chapter 4. There's a lot of ways I could have titled this today. How to be content. How to get God to meet your every need. How to have a big fat bank account in heaven. But really, what it's really about is why it's good to support missions. And you might recall, Paul paid his own way as a missionary. He was a self-supporting missionary through tent making. His policy was not to ask for support money. But these people gave it to him. And they just kept on giving it to him. And he was glad they did. But, you know, he wasn't glad for the reasons you might think. But you need to think about it the way Paul did. And that's what we're going to look at right here. So if you look at chapter 4, starting with verse 10, Paul had a, a certain attitude toward both rags and riches. All right. So look at chapter 4, verse 10. We'll see what that attitude is. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what's Paul's attitude toward both rags and riches? What's the key word there? He's content. That's correct. So we're going to talk about that today. But if we back up and start at the beginning at verse 10, Paul's rejoicing. That's the whole thing of this letter. He's rejoicing all through this letter. Well, what had they done that caused him to rejoice? According to verse 10, they revived their concern and tangibly that was expressed through money. They gave him financial support. It's interesting. He never does come right out and thank them. He swirls all around. (laughs) But he doesn't do it. Now, it did cause him to rejoice, though. Now, watch this. Here's the church in Philippi, and they gave Paul money. And he said he rejoiced. But his rejoicing was not in the church or the money. His rejoicing was in the Lord. So let's imagine... Lee Sheen bakes me a birthday cake. A lot of candles. A lot of candles. (laughs) Thank you. And I call up my daughter and thank her for it. How's that work? They give him something and he's rejoicing in God. Why? How's that work? All right, he he recognizes what Nick's probably going to say too. God is in control. God's the one that motivated them to give and gave them the ability to do it. Nick, you want to add to that or take away from it? That's right. So he knew the true source of where that was coming from. So let's say you got a business and you have customers. Praise God for customers, but you know who really sent you those customers? Okay. So this is what he's doing. So we all need to realize God is the ultimate source of our provision. And God uses other people to meet our needs, but he's the one orchestrating it all behind the scenes. Now, if you'll notice, he says, I rejoiced, not in the money, not in them, in the Lord, greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Well, now, he's talking about it'd been a long time. Why was there a gap in giving? How come he hadn't heard from them in so long? Now, he doesn't say right here. You're going to have to guess. Poor. Poor. 
purr. There you go. Why do you say so? I don't know that they were more so than anybody else. They weren't known for being poor, but I don't think they were known for being rich either. Okay. Why did that stop him from giving him money that he's in jail? Well, you give it to Luke who takes it to him. Here, has it through the bars. Okay, we can guess. He is in jail, and he's in what city? Rome, Rome which is in what country? Italy. Where's Philippi? Greece. You see a problem there. How did he finally get the money? They didn't have Swift. They didn't have, what's it, Connie likes so much? Uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> didn't have PayPal. They didn't have Western Union. So how did he get this gift? You know this. Epaphroditus took it to him. And what happened to him as he was doing it? He nearly died. It's not easy to take money across the Roman Empire. It's dangerous. Finally, they got this guy to do it, and he nearly dies in the process. So it's not that they didn't care. They didn't have opportunity. It's very difficult to get that money to Paul. Now, in verse 11 and 12, he said, this is review, He'd learned an important lesson that's worth reading again. So right behind me, Grandpa, I want you to read 11 and 12. Let's review this lesson he learned. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to, be, to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. All right. So what's this lesson he had learned? Contentment. Contentment. All right. Now, first, he says it is a lesson learned. Well, let me suggest to you that's not something we're born knowing. And if he can learn that lesson, we can learn that lesson. Okay. All right. So that's I don't think that's why he's writing this. I'm just making an insight here. Now, what does this word mean? Content. What is it? What does content or contentment mean? Being at peace. And then this means in all his circumstances. Right. He's OK with it. That's what it says. Now, the Greek word here for contentment that I won't bore you with is nowhere else in the New Testament. It turns out this is the only time it's here. It was a favorite word of the Greek philosophers. And one of the most famous philosophers of his day was in came from Tarsus, which is where Paul was from. So Paul surely knew that this was a favorite buzzword for the philosophers. And to them, it described a person who was self-existent, excuse me, self-sufficient, and he could exist without anybody else. No, thank you. I don't need your help. Okay, self-sufficient. So now, of course, Paul's not self-sufficient. He was Christ-sufficient. But the point is, he was at peace, no matter what his circumstances. So the situation, that's another word he uses here, situation, that's in our text. A situation is outside of you, okay? Contentment is inside of you, right? Okay, so that was his point. I am content at peace on the inside, no matter what my outside circumstances are. Now, here's a true story. John Wesley got news that his house had burned. And John Wesley said, the Lord's house burned. One less responsibility for me. <laughs> we need that attitude. Remember in Hebrews, it talks about the Christians who had joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. 
Okay, that's where we need to, we need to be like Paul. Now, I don't think he's writing this. That's not his purpose in writing, but I'm just observing here. This is a mature attitude to have. Now, you know what he told Timothy? Get this. If we have food and clothing, we shall be, there's a, a word again, content. That ain't much. He didn't even say house, apartment, tent, food, and clothing. You see from this, prosperity gospel is not true. (laughs) Now, speaking to rich people, which is most of us by the world's standards, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. We're talking prosperity preachers and their followers. You got a veneer of godliness on the outside, but as Porgy or Bess or somebody said, it ain't necessarily so, right? All right. So look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. What does abound mean? Well, you obviously he's doing pretty good. Now, what's a boundary? That's your limit. Abound, Greek is a negative. There's no limits. He has really, he knows how to be content in prosperity. That's what he's saying. And then he uses this word plenty. Now, that word was used outside of the Bible of force feeding animals to fatten them up for slaughter. That's the word he uses for plenty. And then the other extreme is need. Now, the Greek word is hysteresis. Now, what English word is transliterated from that? Hysteresis. Hysterical. Not funny. <laughs> Hysterics. It was used to describe an Olympic runner, long distance runner, who's getting further and further and further behind the pack. Now, that's literally what. So he's behind. And then the resulting emotional distress that he's feeling over losing the race and being behind. And not it just over time, it evolved to mean hysterical. Somebody who's hysterical, not funny, but they're losing it. They're losing it. All right. So. He says, I know how to abound in these needy situations. I've, I've learned it. Now, that's, that word learned is uh, related to the Greek word for a disciple. Disciple's a learner. Okay. So you got this wide range and you look at all the things. I know how to be content in wh- whether I'm low or abounding, any and every circumstances, good or bad, plenty or hunger, abundance or need. He can handle it. Now, What's the problem being content with plenty and abundance? Why is that a problem? Because it's easy. What's easy? Well, how about when you're not content and you have plenty? Is Trump content with $3 billion or whatever he's got? I mean, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. You know, this, greed's a big problem. Huh? It becomes gluttonous. Yeah, it becomes your idol. So you can be discontent whether you have a lot or a little. And a word to the wise. Maybe we're not really tempted on that end, but may you someday be tempted by (laughs) by that problem. All right. Now, so now he said, I've learned the secret. Now, learn the secret is a single word in the Greek. And it 
outside the Bible. It was used with these mystery religions. And they'd take you through this initiation process and you got the secret thing. Think Masonic order. You know, the Masons have all their secret, secret handshake in the temple. And, the, and you go through the initiation. All right. Well, that's what he's talking about. Now, he says, I learned the secret. What's the secret? Secret of contentment in all circumstances. All right. Does he tell them the secret? He says, I've learned it. Too bad for you. <laughs> What's the. Now, again, I don't think he's writing. I don't think that's his purpose in writing, but does he reveal the secret? Yes. Yes, last verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And here we come to one of the most abused, misquoted, and misapplied verses in the whole New Testament. Right. He didn't mean he's going to run the Olympic races, or he would swim across the Atlantic, or that he's going to fly to the moon. Right? Don't claim this verse. Unless you're at the gym. <laughs> All right. Now, look, so Paul, he still felt cold. He felt hunger. He felt tired. He felt pain. But what? He was content in the middle of that. So when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, what does he mean? What? He can endure everything God's will, good or bad, plenty or poverty, with contentment through Christ. That's what you can walk away with from this. Nothing more. Amen. Nothing less. And that's all throughout this book. He has said, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the secret right there. Now, you know, Paul had something wrong with him. I don't know what it was. He kept asking God to take it away. And God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Wow. All right. So happiness. I mean, these words rejoice, joy, gladness, happiness. You know, I mean, they're all kind of synonymous. We can make distinctions, but happiness is based on, I, I'm not spelling that right, I'm sure, happenstance, happenstance, happenstance. Happiness is based on happenstance. When your happenstance changes, your happiness changes. So you want to find your joy, as Paul said, in the Lord. So the problem is too many Christians follow the world's way of happiness. Right. They've not learned the secret of contentment. The only difference between them and the world is they're just busier because they're involved with the church and the world isn't. Right. All right. So circumstances, uh, by definition, are outside of yourself. Right. It's, uh, so let's, we're talking about bad circumstances. So you're sick. Somebody you love dies. Your wife's in the middle of divorcing you. Poverty, terrorism. You lose your job. Don't, Outside circumstances. Now, what's the cause of that? Well, sometimes it's your own sin, but a lot of times it's outside of your control. Mistakes that other people make, sins that other people make, acts of God or tornado is an act of God falls on your house. Right. Or Satan who comes to kill and destroy. It's the cause of it. What's the consequence? And that's inside of you is the consequences. All right. Okay. So often our inside reactions are worry or anger 
or depression, right? Fright. Those, that's not what God wants you to experience. What does he want you to experience? Contentment and joy. That's right. So Paul, you read it, he is content. Circumstances were irrelevant. So the issue is not why did a bad thing happen? As Eric read, you can ask God why it happened. It's okay to ask God why it happened. I have found he usually won't tell you. Okay? But it's okay to ask. But so really, the issue is not why did this bad thing happen? The real issue is how are you going to respond? That you can control. All right. So if you think about it, either God is sovereign or he isn't. Right? So you remember old Joseph? Thought he knows a little brat. Bragged too much. Brothers didn't like it. We're going, first they're going to kill him. Then they decide we might as well make a little money off this. They sell him into slavery. Off he goes. Ha! Got rid of him. Well, you know, time goes by. He winds up vice president of Egypt, vice pharaoh. And famine comes. God gives him the visions. You know, they store up all the grain. His brothers wind up in front of him and they're scared spitless when they realize who he is. They think, well, they've had it now. And he says, now he, he learned a lesson. He says to these brothers, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now they sinned, but God was ultimately behind it and using it. For famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And you think about Job. Minded his own business, loves the Lord, prospering. Satan comes up, take away everything he's got. He'll curse you. God said, no, he won't. Satan said, yeah, well, God said, okay, take everything he's got. So he did. Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Satan took it, but he couldn't take it unless God let him take it. Right. Job recognized God's in control. Exodus. God asked this question. Who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God's taking responsibility for that. Proverbs 21. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Don't you get frustrated with Obama or whatever his name is. What's his name? Biden. <laughs> Wrong one. Starts with a sort of a B in there somewhere. Listen, listen, he can't, everything he does, God's behind that. Now, I don't mean it's good. As Eric said, it might result in persecution. Either you trust God or you don't. Either God's sovereign or he's not, right? Yes. All right. Now, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who God loves, all, that's not what it says. We know that those who love God, <laughs> for those people, all things Work together for good. That those who are called, for those who are called according to his purpose to be conformed to the image of his son. All right. So you don't see with your eyes how these bad things are going to turn out for good in your life. Ultimately, I mean, at the very least, it's going to make you more like Jesus. But there's bigger pictures than that. It ain't just about you. Right. All right. So you got Corey Ten Boom and her sister. One lives through it and the other gets killed. You don't know which one you're going to be. But we trust God. 
As Job later said, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Okay. Now, who's the ultimate source of all circumstances? God. God. And what's his purpose? Well, to glorify himself, you're good if you want to be self-centered about it. How should you respond? Rejoice. Rejoice. And the operative word also is contentment. That's right. So the big struggle in our lives is to apply what we know. You know it. Now you've got to apply it. That's the hard part. And you don't grow in the easy times. You grow in the hard times. How can you trust God in scary things if there's nothing to trust him for? Everything's going great. All right, that's when growth happens. So it does take faith, and you've got to elevate the truth above your trouble. Okay, you just purpose to do that now, and at least you'll be ready when it happens. Readier, right? All right, now look at the next paragraph. He says that they had shared his trouble. I don't know how they did that. Okay, look at verse 14. We're going to see how, he shared the, how did they share his trouble. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now here's one of the next most misused verses in the Bible. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So how exactly had they shared in his trouble? What did they do? They gave him money. That's right. So uh, he he goes on to say, you're in fellowship with me. They're they're co-labored with him in advancing the gospel and they shared their trouble with him. So, you know, it's said when you're in partnership with somebody, it makes your troubles in half and it doubles your joys. So that's kind of, I think, what he's saying here. So that word share, go back to verse 14, you share my troubles. Uh, Literally, it's that Greek word koinonia is underneath that. Okay. But notice in verse 14, it begins, you've heard of yetis. Anybody here believe in the yeti? He starts with yet. 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 The way it's used here, it means kind of like but. So why did he start with yet? Because he didn't need it. He, he didn't need it. He was content. Now, was he glad they sent it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's yeah, but. That's what he's saying. Okay, so he wants them to know, look, I'm sufficient here. But, but I'm glad you sent it. The new king nevertheless. nevertheless, thank you. That's the idea, nevertheless. Yeah, notice little words like that if you're trying to piece together the logic of what he's saying here. So this, this is a balance to what he just said in the previous paragraph, right? All right, so now talk to me about the trouble he was having. What trouble was he having when he wrote this? He's in jail. That's right. There he sits. And the word for trouble is philipsis. And it was, deci- it was described when you put a bunch of grapes in a wine press and the weight comes down on them. It's the sound of the meat of the grape going flip out of the skin. Philipsis. So he's, it means under pressure. He's got all this pressure bearing down on him. 
and they're sharing in his trouble. It lightens the, their concern. It's not the money. He, you know what really moves him? It's not the money. It's their concern. He knows they care. You see? All right. So now it's interesting. Just look at verse 15. What do we learn about the source of Paul's support from verse 15? Only that one church was giving him money, at least from Macedonia. What's Macedonia? Modern day northern Greece. Yeah. So Greece was southern Greece and Macedonia was northern Greece. Now, Philippi was in Macedonia. It's named after a guy named Philip of Macedonia, whose son was Alexander the Great. All right. So that's why. So Randy said it. They're the only church giving him anything. And later he writes to the church in Corinth, which is in southern Greece. He says, when I was with you there in Corinth, he said, when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. So now remember, Paul didn't ask for money, but he had needs. The reason he could serve the, Macedon- the, the Corinthians is because the Philippians sent him money to do ministry. Make sense? All right. And he, he later he says, I robbed other churches to serve you. All right. So question is, now we know from Acts that in Macedonia, he went to Thessalonica and started a church after he left here, uh, Philippi. And you wrote a letter to them and you've heard of the Bereans who are more noble and they study the Bible. There's a church in Berea. You think they sent him money? Nope. You think Thessalonians sent him money? Nope. Why is nobody but this one church? What's their problem? What's the matter with these people? Why aren't they giving Paul money? Probably from your own experience you could answer that question. Afraid to say anything, are you? Come on. All you stingy people, why don't you give? Ah, he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. He makes tents. I got to work. Let him work. What somebody over here say? Because I want to keep my money. I've got financial constipation. Yes. <laughs> you know, when it comes to giving, there are some people who will stop at nothing. You know, too often it's out of sight, out of mind. I bet a lot of you, you don't even think about church until Sunday morning comes around, do you? Some people don't. Um, it was true then and it's true today. It, it, uh, they say, studies show, 20% of the Christians give 80% of all the money that's received. How about that? Generally speaking. Now, that means that 80% is either spiritually immature or in sin. Okay, so you know, take a child. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. You have to teach them to share. And they don't know the value of money. For all they know, it grows on trees. All right. And so spiritual children are immature about the cost of ministry and what it really costs. They just don't think about it. Everything's supernatural. It's just magic. Just happens. Right. So one fellow said, he says, don't cling to things so tightly that it will hurt. When God has to pry open your fingers to take them. All right. So God wants us to learn to be givers. 
All right, so part of the maturing process is learning to be a giver. Okay, that's, that's part of it. And so he's not raising money. He's, he's raising disciples. Okay, that's it. And, and so now on the other hand, there are spiritual grown-ups who just don't give. Okay, so uh, neither group, the immature or the disobedient mature, have learned the joys of giving. Okay, and so the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. Amen. How about that? That's what God wants. All right. And so going back to verse 15. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except only you. Well, the good news is. The fact that he says in the beginning means that the situation didn't stay that way. The other people learned to give and started doing it. So Paul had learned the lesson of contentment. We should learn that lesson. What's another lesson we need to learn? To give to the Lord's work. Okay, that's part of it. Now, I know a lot of you would say, well, I'll give my time, and that's important. But what we're talking about here is treasure. Because they couldn't give their time to Paul. He was a long way away. So notice First, we started with the yet in verse 14. Now, look at verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help. Why even in Thessalonica? Maybe they were rich. No, I don't think that's it. Did you wonder that? Even. Why even? Okay, it's real close. That's the next place Paul went. Well, I think the significance is from the very beginning... I mean, as soon as he left, they were sending money over there behind him and had him reached, caught up with him in Thessalonica. They were eager to do it. Now, I don't know who's really behind that. Usually somebody is motivating the church. Maybe it was Lydia, the rich businesswoman. Maybe it was Luke who could have been gone back there later. Could have been this faithful companion he writes about to help the two warring women. Somebody probably was behind helping this church understand the importance of giving. Now, sometimes... I've noticed Christians are excited about foreign missions. Boy, they'll give. We're going to go to Uganda and be a missionary. Yeah, we'll give it to him. But if it's somebody like Jason, who's just going around the corner to the abortion clinic. Ah, he's just old Jason. He's right next door. So in that sense, this Thessalonica wasn't foreign missions. That was the next town Paul went to, still in Macedonia. So uh, also another reason we need to get excited about giving, not just foreign missions, but home missions too. See, just part of that. Now, so let's, Let's look at this. He says, you gave in verse 16. Mine says once and again. I think the NIV says again and again. So let's look at, if you were to look at the frequency of your giving, the regularity of your giving, is it habitual or is it spasmodic? Is it systematic or is it haphazard? So let's compare the regularity of your giving with how often you pay your light bill. Would the lights still be on or would you go home and sit in the dark because you don't pay your light bill? See what I'm asking? You should be as regular and as systematic and as thoughtful in your giving as you are the light bill. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He wanted them to give to the saints in Jerusalem. He says, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, see that you excel in this act of grace also. That's what he calls giving, an act of grace, we are to excel in that. All right. Now, look at verse 17 again. What really mattered to Paul, according to verse 17? The fruit 
that increases to your credit. Where is this credit accruing? In heaven. That's right. Okay. Now, Paul was excited. Their giving was an indicator of their spiritual health and spiritual maturity. Okay. And he was excited because they were getting reward in heaven. Now, Karl Marx didn't like that. He calls religion, he was thinking of Christianity, the opiate of the people. Of course, he wanted to overthrow the government, overthrow the capitalists, and overthrow society as it then was. And he saw religion as having a pacifying effect on that. Well, look, it does. You've got to have your eyes. You're going to spend a lot more time in heaven than you are here. So if you're going to be rich somewhere, you need to be rich there rather than here. Okay. Now, somebody said, you, you know, somebody, oh, somebody died, rich guy died. How much did he leave behind? I says, all of it. Right? You, <laughs> but listen, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. How do you send it ahead? Well, in this context, you're giving to missions. All right? So Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He said it. Paul writing to Timothy about us, as for the rich in this present age, charge them to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. All right. Now look at verse 18. What can we learn about verse 18 from how much they gave? Give me some words. Full payment. payment. Give me another word. More. More. Give me another word. Well Well supplied. All right. They were generous. And if you look at the last part of verse 18, how does God view any gift that you give to a Christian worker? All right. These are Old Testament sacrificial terms. Fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing God. You want to please God? What do you do? Give to missions. So here's our triangle. So they gave to Paul and Paul blessed God. They gave to Paul and God saw that as a blessing to him. Offering to him. All right. That's what it says. That's how it works. Now, I I can just to diverge. There's three groups. Now, we're talking about we're not talking today about giving to the poor. That's a different subject. But since Paul, Paul is an apostle. Now, we don't have those today. But what's the modern day equivalent to an apostle? It's a missionary. You know, the word missionary is not in the Bible. But we believe in them. I was selling books door to door in college, and this lady says, I don't believe in door to door salesmen. I said, What do you think I am, lady? A myth? <laughs> so I hope you, even though the word missionary is not in the Bible, we believe in them, right? Now, there's another group that in 1 Corinthians called evangelists, okay? That's a different group. They're not as skilled, I guess, in doing things as an apostle was who's planting churches and discipling people. Philip's an evangelist. So now today, though, I mean, just today, we would tend to call an evangelist somebody in the USA. But if the same guy goes overseas, he becomes a missionary. Okay, I'll leave it at that. And now number three, we got, I'm going to call them pastors. And I don't like that word. There's no difference in the Bible between a pastor and an elder. But in English, the way it's come to mean, pastors are paid to be good. And all the other elders are just good for nothing. And um, I I had a book. It was called about hospital visitation for elders and other laymen. See, so by definition, it's it's wrong. But an elder 
is a layman, a volunteer, and a pastor's paid. Well, that's made up. But anyway, I'm going to put pastors for that reason. And so, so when you give to one of these two guys, that's uh, altruistic. You're not getting anything out of that personally in, in this life. You're already saved, right? So if you're paying, if you support, if you co-labor with an evangelist or a missionary, you're, that helps other people. Now, we know it helps you for the reasons we've studied this morning. But if, when you give to a pastor, well, that, that guy's helping you. I mean, you're, he's provided something that you benefit from. So going to this one, evangelist, Jesus said, The Lord commanded, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Where do you think that money's coming from, the lost people? Who, it's the church corporately that's supposed to be supporting him. All right? And then talking about missionaries, I've edited this, it's from 1 Corinthians 9, it says, am I not an apostle? Yeah, he was. Do we have the right, right to eat and drink? What's the answer to the question? Yes. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Yes. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now, that's kind of a convoluted question. Point is, Barnabas and Paul had the right to refrain from working for a living. Now, Paul chose not to take that right, but the rest of them did. Okay. Okay, answer this question. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Nobody. Nobody. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Nobody. Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Nobody. What's the point? It's okay to support missionaries. (laughs) You should be doing it. Now, the third group is is pastors. For example, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, all elders are honorable men or they wouldn't be elders. But some elders are worthy of double honor. And by that, he means you give them material support. Which ones? The ones who rule well. And then he explains it, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Same two Old Testament verses, or maybe one's from Jesus, one's from the Old Testament, that he had quoted in 1 Corinthians 9 about the right of an apostle to be supported. And he says the same thing about some elders. Now, the norm is most elders are going to be bivocational. There's an exception that some are to be supported by the church. Big picture stuff there. But that's what he says. Get this. One who has taught the word must, what must mean? You got to do it. Share all good things with the one who teaches. When's the last time you obeyed that Bible must? Here's another one. Paul said, now he's talking about taking up money for poor Christians, okay? And he's trying to get the church in Rome to give. He says, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. O-W-E. Owe. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So you've got this principle of spiritual in exchange for material. Now, Paul is real critical of selling, peddling the word of God. But you've got this free exchange as an obligation there. And then 1 Corinthians 9-11 is a question. I want you to answer the question. 
If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And it's not too much. So if you're sitting there fat, dumb, and happy, and you're not a giver, well, you're in debt. You're behind on your payments, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the upshot of all this. What promise did God make to the church in verse 19? Right. He said, all you need, not your greed. Okay. Huh? Food and clothing. Well, yeah. Now, look, I've needed a lot of things I didn't want. My daddy used to say, you need a spanking. <laughs> you know? All right. So now there's kind of a, uh, a principle here that, too, when we help other churches in their time of needs, let's say the church in some impoverished area, that's the right thing to do. Later, we might be impoverished and other people help us. Paul said, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance, later he means, may supply your need that there may be fairness. Now, that's another group we haven't talked about. We could put four up here would be needy Christians. But that was a little bit beyond the scope of what Paul's talking about. So how much should you give? Now, that's the $64,000 question. Now, when I was at, I won't tell you. I've been in so many over the years, these churches. The Bible believes it. No, wait, the Bible teaches it. I believe it. Tithing. No, tithing. Now, the Bible does teach tithing, and I believe the Bible teaches tithing. But it also teaches don't eat lobsters. And I believe it teaches don't eat lobsters. But can I eat lobsters? Yeah, I can if I want to. All right, so I don't want to put you under the law. I can't tell you how much to give. I do know it says God loves a cheerful giver. And the Greek word there transliterates into hilarious. I mean, transliterates into hilarious. That's why I said you got to give till you're glad. It's hurting, right? So that's a heart thing. What's John three sixteen? God's loved the world that he did what? He gave. All right. Well, let me do say this about tithing. What does tithe mean? 10%. 10%. All right. Now, you're, Moses said to do that. You're not under the law of Moses. But here's what. I'm going to quote another preacher. I don't quite believe it, but I think you need to consider it. He's talking about tithing. He says, Abraham commenced it. Jacob continued it. Malachi commanded it. Jesus commended it. Who are you to cancel it? <laughs> now, now, that's true. If you think about it, nobody told Abraham to tithe. He just, of a free will, did that. His grandson, generations later, does the same thing. God didn't tell him to do that. He just did it. Now, Moses, he said Malachi also, Moses did command it, and that's true. And Jesus did commend people for tithing. Of course, they were under the law. But you see, a, I mean, if you want to, how about a starting point? Did Jesus die on the cross so you could give 9% instead of 10? I don't know. That might be a good starting point for your giving. You're, that could be a pay the electric bill. I don't have to think about it. Knee jerk reaction. I see you back there. Uh, starting point for giving. So some of you probably don't even know how to write a check. And I understand that. So if, but if you still know how to write a check, well, we have a, a box on the wall out there. Some of you have never seen that box. It's a mailbox uh, that you can put money in. Now, what I do is I authorize the bank. I get paid once a month from my, not from this church, from my own 501c3. And I have it sent a check automatically. I just take, I'll tell you, I take out non, no, don't think about it. I take out 10%, send it to Ann's house. But it's not payable to Ann. It's payable to the church. And, and I don't put it in that box. 
because I'll never remember to bring my checkbook. And it's a lot of trouble. So every month, the bank just sends it for me, right, to Ann's house. And others of you, because of the virus, we really got 21st century. We opened a PayPal account. You can go online and you can give by PayPal. But point is, we've tried to make it easier to give. But my starting point is 10%. It's not a bad thing to do. You got to start somewhere. Okay. Uh, JP, JC Penny gave 90% of his. All right, so it's how much reward do you want to have in heaven? That's kind of what it comes down to. Now, uh, let me just say, we, obviously, you're enjoying lights. Some of you don't like our lights, but um, <laughs> we have air conditioning, right? Did you enjoy uh, the grass was cut and, and, and the parking lot was blown? Well, that costs money. So we pay people to do all that. So some of what you give goes to that. If you don't do it, well, I guess we could just be sitting in, on the grass out there in the heat, but you probably wouldn't like it. All right. But now the rest of it, we will systematically, we send some to, not much, but we send some to the Southern Baptist Convention and they support like 4,000 missionaries. So we, by about two days of a mission work from one missionary, I think, but from them. And then we send money to the Greater Atlanta Baptist Network. They have no personnel. I'm, in fact, the treasurer. And we... We, we give $10,000 uh, WAC grants to guys planting churches here in Atlanta. They helped us with our efforts in Athens. And then we're part of the Georgia Baptist Convention. We give a little to them. They've given far more to us than we ever gave to them. They gave us a big hunk of money to help start our attempts to start a church in McDonough. Okay? And so uh, we give there. Now, but, and we give some to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Locally, and we actually we give some to Rehoboth Baptist. You know, they're just barely getting along down there. Rehoboth, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Nathaniel calls it Behemoth Baptist, but what, the reason it's designated to their food pantry. So when homeless people come by here, we're not really set up for it. So we send them down there because they got a full time guy, and that's what he does. And they got a hotel right across the street. They put people in and stuff like that. So we do that. But now mo- that's little. Most of our money we send. A set amount to Jason every month. We send a set amount to Nathaniel in Athens every month for evangelism. And then overseas, we send some to Stephen David and his mission team in Hyderabad and some to Pradeep. And he's doing the medical missions in northern India, northern uh, to Hyderabad, and also to Murli in Sri Lanka. So that's all set. Now, you can give over that. And a lot of people do. They'll, they'll give extra and designate it for something. And we send that. You, don't even, you can just give it to the person. If you like what Jason, he's, Jason's not here, is he? I can talk about him. All right, so if Jason, you like what he does, just hand him money. I mean, the, the standard deduction is so high now, most of us, I mean, unless you're itemizing everything, you don't need to turn that in for taxes. Just give it to him. See what I'm saying? But remember, you need to put some in the box out there or we won't have light bills. But, I mean, to be a joyful giver. If there's some missionary you know, give it to him. That's great. Now, I haven't mentioned pastors. Gerald works for a living. I sold my business, right? Well, one of, that might change someday. We might have to start giving to pastors. That's biblical, right? The fact that we happen not to need it frees up more to go other places. But let him who has taught the word do what? If you can't tell me, that's a bad thing. Let him who has taught the word share all good things. All right. So if someone counsels you or spends time with you in premarital counseling spends time with you in marital trouble spends time with you child training spends time with you in career planning and counsels you guess what 
I hope he didn't charge you for it, but you owe it to that person. You see, there was a guy in our church and he was went to this end time events conference and he's really griping because it's like two hundred fifty dollars. And he was really griping that they charged him to go. And I agreed with him. That was wrong. That's just wrong. But he went. He paid it and went. And the same weekend, next town over, after, I mean, right as soon as that one ended, it was on purpose. Another one. I had another end time event thing. And it was free. And he was so excited about that one. And he went to that one, too. And I said, well, this one charged two fifty. How much did you give them? Oh, I didn't give them a penny. I don't know what they do with that money. Look, he should have given them $500 because they didn't charge anything. And I, I was looking into a guest speaker to come speak at our church one time. And the secretary said, well, he's got a $5,000 minimum. You have to guarantee. And I said, he can just stay there. I don't want to hear anything he's got to say. Amen. That's the way you need to see it. So, but, but you, you are obligated to give. If somebody's counseling you and they spend time with you and they help you, you're obligated to give it. Now, maybe they'll return, refuse it. Paul didn't. <laughs> but... You see what I'm saying? Okay, think about this. Get, get your mind into it. Well, I'm out of time, I think. Well, I'll just quit the book. Uh, let's see what we can skip here. Well, look at this, verse 20. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's it. That's, it's all about, you said glorifying God earlier. That's what it's really all about. It's how we're going to give glory to God. And so what I've tried to show you today is, what I skipped, you can read it at home. The final greetings. He says, hey to everybody. Um, why is it good to give to missions? It's going to cause the missionary to rejoice. Okay. It's tangible proof of your concern for that missionary. Okay. They need to be encouraged. It's rough out there. It's a way to share in his trouble. That's what he said. It's a way to enter partnership with him. It is a fruit that will increase to your credit in heaven. To God, it's a fragrant offering. He says it's pleasing to God when you do that. And it says, and God in turn will meet all your needs. The only people that are promised to have their needs met in this context are those who give to missionaries. Maybe the other Bible says other things, other places. But all I know is right here, that promise is made to churches who give to missions. People in churches that give to missions. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.